Good morning, and welcome to Hope Church Online. It is good to see many of your faces. It was fun to hear friends catching up uh, before our service began, and thank you for your flexibility with us this uh, this Lord's Day. You know, when I initially set up online worship, I was like, ah, middle of May, I guess I'll just add a couple extra weekends just in case this thing goes on longer than we think, and so when that expired last week, I had to quick send out new login information. So hopefully everyone's able to figure this out uh, with us. And noticing it is a, a bit smaller, so we'll see how this goes. But welcome. We are here to, to meditate on the good news of the gospel, to have God speak to us today, and do pray that the, the bottomless love, the bottomless depths of Christ's love for you in the midst of your own struggles and sin and suffering that would give us otherworldly strength and courage. So this morning we're going to look at Colossians later, and this is a great new identity that we, we find ourselves uh, being given, and, and this, this is going to give us strength. So I pray it's something to look forward to. I'm excited to talk about it. it. It'll be good. A couple announcements before we transition to worship. Um, I mean, everybody I've talked to this week are saying, when are we going to get back together? in person to worship, which is the question. And, and right now, it seems like our governor and our president are arm wrestling uh, to determine who's going to win that battle. And, and we're, we get to sit back and watch. But a couple things as we, we look ahead, we do miss seeing you and definitely miss being in person with you all. But we, we want to wait for clarification. We want to be able to live stream this well so that when we have people in person, and still at home, uh, that those people who are, are at home out of love for their neighbor uh, aren't shortchanged in terms of technology. So we need to make sure that's set up well. And so that, that's something I'm, I'm working on and trying to get some, some help with. Um, so we can be patient, this is working. And if you have questions and suggestions, feel free to, to reach out. I am tech sufficient, but not tech proficient. So I definitely could use any advice when in coming in how to how to set this up well. I do want to welcome Dr. Jody, our, one of the missionaries we support. And, and as you heard before, one of our friends, um, it's great to see you. It's cool with this lockdown, everybody's using the internet. We get to, you get to join us from afar. So look forward to hearing from you in a bit. And lastly, just continue to Check on each other as you are have time and are, and are able and as you, as you have been doing really well over the last several weeks. Well, I guess we're up to a couple months. It's been great for me as a pastor to hear, you know, this person called me, this person called me, this person did this for me. And you know, we get to, to see, even though we're disconnected, we're still the body of Christ caring for one another. So with that, let's take a moment to, to ask God to help us focus on hearing his voice and to focus on hearing the good news of the gospel and they would help chase away our unbelief. So prepare to hear him speak to us. Take a moment of silence now.
We come now at God's invitation to hear him speak to us. And this is from Psalm 33 and 1 Peter. It says, shout for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous. Here it comes. I'll wait for the, the worship to be shared. Great. Start over. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise, it befits the upright. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And together, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And now may we ask, may the grace and peace of our Lord be multiplied to you as we worship. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you that your steadfast love is our hope. It is our rock, our refuge. We thank you that your mercies never end, that they're new every morning, and, and as you have promised, will save us to the uttermost. And so we thank you today, too, as well, Lord, for the great assurance that you are our help in times of trouble, that you are our shield who defends us, that you are our fortress, that by your nature, you have chosen to hide us in days of trouble. Of course, most of all, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ Jesus, who shows us what that kind of love and protection looks like. That this Jesus, who had a great desire to be with us, gathered us under his wings, took, gave us refuge with his life, with his death on a cross, taking the fires of judgment we deserved so that we might receive this, this permanent uh, parenting from you, Father. So help us believe that. Help us to apply what you speak to us to our current situation today. Remind us of these great comforting words, that they are true, because Christ lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died, and he rose again, giving us credit as if we had done what he had done. So remind us again, Father, that today, all whom the Father gives to Jesus the Son, they will come, they will hear his voice, and they will never be cast out. So may those words give us comfort in our, in our various places as we are struggling with loneliness, with sickness, with sorrow, with grief, with pain, with selfishness. And help us see this, this wonderful care by your Spirit that your eyes have been on us before the foundation of the world, and you have promised that, that that same fierce love will defend us to the very end. So as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word preached today, Lord, may your grace do the work of sanctification in us and form us and move us so that we might walk in the ways of Jesus, doing so joyfully, uh, full of faith that you have given us. So we ask all these things, Lord, and we ask the Spirit to pray those things we can't even articulate, but we ask these things to you, Father, that to, to the one who loved us before the foundation of the world, we ask in the name of Christ, who has freed us from our sin and loves us even now. Amen.
I'll ask John to lead us in, in singing, He Will Hold Me Fast. All right, let's begin. Sing it together. When I fear my faithful tale, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. her to um, share with us about what God's been doing in Mexico and all her, in all the places she travels and um, and I, how this is working in the midst of COVID as well. So thanks for joining us, Jody. 
Okay. Good morning. Buenos dias. <laughs> Buenos dias. Um, for those of you I haven't seen for a few years, I was living in Boston Spa and attended Hope Church from about 85 to 93 while I was in pediatrics practice in Saratoga Springs. And from there, the Lord called me to be a medical missionary, first in Reynosa, Mexico, and now I live down in Siwatanejo, just north of Acapulco on the Pacific coast. But my ministry takes me around the world in working with different groups. I have, um, I work with a ministry called Community Health Evangelism, and I have two roles. I'm in charge of their training materials. We're working in communities around the world, mostly in developing countries, also in closed countries, with a twofold goal. We want to make disciples for Christ, and secondly, we're hoping that people help helping people to live a more healthy life, a life of shalom or harmony and health and in good relationships and in living for the Lord. So I'm in charge of the training materials and also work with children and their families through community health evangelism with children. But as you can guess, each of those roles has had challenges in the last couple of months due to the COVID. First of all, in my situation, I was living very comfortably in Siwatanejo when two things happened. Um, first, my mother was put in the hospital. She's doing much better now. And they were about ready to close the borders between Mexico and the United States. So I came up to Texas at the home base of the Christian Health Service Corps, and that's where I've been living for a while. I still can't go see my mom, and I'm waiting until we'll be able to work that out. So that was challenge number one. The second challenge is that all of a sudden we had the threat of this deadly COVID virus hitting all the villages around the world. And how could we get information to them uh, about ways to stay safe, ways to stay healthy, how to use the crisis of the virus as an opportunity to share Christ with their neighbors. So, but all of a sudden we had, uh, we couldn't meet together as a group. We couldn't visit families in their homes. And many people didn't have internet. Many people are oral learners, so they don't read well and they do better with stories and pictures. So we've been working out ways to get the message across. I've written a lot of training materials. What we're tending to do now is that we're sending them by internet in the way that we can on our website through messages. And then we're trusting in them to pass them on to people who will pass them on to others. And rather than just writing lessons and 
textual documents. We're sending out lots of pictures and videos and anything we can do to be interactive to help the communities. The second challenge for them is that for many of them, COVID is not their biggest risk. Their biggest risk right now is that people are out of work. Their harvest has failed during, during, uh, due to droughts. They've got a locust plague. Many people are struggling with not having enough food to eat. So how can we mobilize the local churches, the local people to give to their neighbors? Um, and I was in, last year I was in Uganda working with refugees from South Sudan. And they lived in little refugee camps and that's a little thousands of people in each one. But the miracle of it is in this time of unrest for them, the Lord is working powerfully in many people. They said um, they were gonna baptize 27 people. They baptized 27 people on Sunday and 55 new churches were planted. So we're seeing a movement of the, of the Lord amongst the refugees. They're very open. They're very eager for the information, but they are also highly at risk. How do you do social distancing when you're in a slum of Nairobi and you have six people living in one room? Um, so there are challenges around the world. So far, the South has been relatively spared and we keep praying that that will continue. I'm debating about when to go back to Zihuatanejo because they just had somebody die last week of COVID and the disease is not on the decline there. It's still increasing. Um, in Siwatanejo, our churches and ministries have been doing a wonderful job during this COVID crisis. Tony and his group that work in the garbage dump and the school in the garbage dump have been giving out meals to the families. It used to be the kids could come to school and get a solid meal there. Now they can't do that, but they're still giving out food. They're still doing an outreach. The churches in Siwatanejo have come together, gathered food, gathered donations, and are giving out bags and bags and bags of food to the poor families who live in the hills. In the senior home, Bet Shalom, those people are at the highest risk. So they are completely shut down. No one can come in or out. So the staff has been living there in order to take care of those elderly adults. So what we're seeing, I think, I haven't been there most of this time, is that although the threat is real, although they're in danger, in some ways, the external threat is building a unity among the Christians and among the churches that we hadn't seen before. And so my prayer is that the Lord will use this to bring the churches together. So some things that you can pray for are for the health and the safety of the people, of the refugees from South Sudan who are in Uganda, for those in the slums of Nairobi and all of the areas that 
have been hit by locusts and flooding and other dangers. Um, for Siwataneho, uh, for the poor families that we're reaching out to, and pray. In some ways, we're doing health teaching, but our health teaching is is vitally important. But it's also a vehicle to share the love of Christ. So that pray that along with all the COVID nineteen teaching that's going out that the good news of Jesus Christ may be shared as well, and that more and more people may become faithful followers of Christ. I thank you. You've been faithful now for 27 years and praying for me and supporting me and staying in touch. I thank God for Hope Church, and I pray for you regularly as well. So here's my test of the day. At the end of a talk, I always tell you, Dios les bendiga, which means may God bless you. And you respond back, igualmente, or same to you. So I'm going to tell you, Dios les bendiga, may God bless you. And you respond back, I think. I'm trusting you all did, but you're muted. So I didn't, so I couldn't catch your mistakes. So that's all right. May the Lord continue to bless you. And thanks very much for your care for me. Thanks, Joey. Definitely appreciate that. And I know it was better for the Spanish language that I was muted. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask Pastor Jim if he would lead us in prayer, not only for you and your ministry, but also for us here as a congregation. And there's just a lot there. Everybody has different challenges all over the world in trying to navigate, uh, staying safe and care for their neighbor and pray the church will grow through that. Yeah. Right, let's pray. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we are uh, thankful that you are God much bigger and greater than our little area. Uh, thank you for giving us a heart for the world. And we do that, Lord, by studying your word, but also by the call of others who have left their homes and have uh, decided to listen to that call of the vocation of uh, being a, uh, a missionary and an evangelist in, in all the places around the world. And so, Dr. Jody, Lord, we're thankful that uh, someone who was comfortable in Saratoga left and has gone to places that uh, are far different from uh, the areas that we know around here and especially Saratoga and the Adirondacks. Lord, we, we pray along with her once for her safety, her safekeeping and her mom's health. Uh, Lord, we thank you that she's doing better, but we, we know that we pray for a continuing ongoing health through the uh, services that she's receiving right now. We pray that there'll be a time when, when uh, Dr. Jody can return back sometime soon. I know her heart is aching to do that. We can hear it and see it. So we pray that you would, uh, along with her, give us all patience and give her patience as we wait for your timing to open that door at, a right, at the right time. And then Lord, as we hear the needs upon her heart, as she conveyed them to our heart today, 
with all sincerity and love and passion, Lord, we think of those who are in slums that are that cannot uh, abide by any kind of rules uh, and cannot uh, abide by close uh, the close quarters that they have for any kind of health uh, and uh, sanitation and all the all the ways uh, of social distancing, Lord, and and not only that, but for for their health and for their diets and for to build up their bodies, Lord, we we just pray that you would be with them in in only the way that you know how. For us, it's overwhelming to think of how to do that, but not for you. So we trust that you are much bigger, and we know that you are much bigger than anything than even this COVID nineteen and and any of the complexities that we think about for uh, medical assistance and even uh, spiritual assistance, Lord, we know that you will raise people up to do that. And we think of those who are who are in are in the uh, the places of of uh, the garbage heaps and those who are uh, who live among the slums and those who are fat fighting not only now the concern for physical. Uh, dangers, but now also natural dangers with the locust, Lord. We we again take a deep breath and sigh, and and uh, we we sometimes are overwhelmed by the sadness of the events that are going on in people's lives. And yet, Lord, we know that you are good, and we know that you are powerful, and we know that you are sovereign. So, Lord, as we as we think about Dr. Jody and her work and all those who are working with her and all the other uh, men and women who work for your glory from uh, as missionaries from our church. We pray, Father, that those three things we would constantly rem remember and hold upon with confidence in our heart. Uh, so we pray that, Lord, as we wait upon you, you will give us a constant vision of who you are so that we would trust you more to do the work that you desire us to do as your disciples as we are called to complete and we are called to be faithful to the great commission so we ask these things in jesus name amen amen thanks jim well at this point i will turn it over to brandon who's going to lead Lead us in teaching the kids about the Lord's Prayer, which is really teaching all of us as well. Thanks, Brandon. Good morning, everyone. So my kids are not here. Uh, and for those kids that are there, if I don't think I can see any, but I'll, I'll just talk to you anyway. Um, I want to remind you of what we've covered in the Lord's Prayer so far, and then we'll talk about a new section today. So the part that I'm reminding you of um, that we've already talked about is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, is what we've covered so far. So now the next section, hey, I see, I see some Anderson kids. Good morning, guys. Um, the section that we're going to talk today about today is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, and I see Ryan too. Good morning, Ryan. So I want to talk about I want to talk about that idea of heaven. And I'll tell you a little story. So Teddy and Edmund and I were camping out last night, and we were looking up at the stars, and we were thinking about how unimaginably far away they are, and how many there are. 
And Teddy asked me if that was heaven, if we were looking up at heaven. So let me just ask you a question. Can you, can you take a rocket ship up? If you took a rocket ship, you'd get up out into space. Would that be in, would you be in heaven? No. No. No, where would you be, Ryan? You would be in space. Yeah, you'd be in space, right? So we often think of heaven as above us, but space is above us. Hey, there's Edmund. Space is above us. That's not really where heaven is. And Teddy said something really interesting to me. He said, so heaven is almost like a secret place because I was talking about how you couldn't just get there in a rocket ship. And that's right. And I told him that Jesus told us when he was here on earth that the way to get to heaven is him. He said, I am the way. So that's what I want you to think of when you think of heaven. Don't think of the stuff up above the blue sky or at night when you look up at the stars. That's not what Jesus means when he says heaven. He's talking about God's kingdom. So this part that we're talking about is your will be done on earth where we are here, as it is in heaven. The other piece that I want you to think of, what does will mean? So when we say your will be done, what does it mean when we say will? Anybody have an idea? It means let, um, do what, do what you, are going to do power do. yeah well, yeah do what power. you want yeah i don't i think of it as doing what you want to do we want what god wants what he wants is his will do what you told us to do yes exactly teddy do what he told us to do so when we say your will be done can god do whatever he wants all the time yes he sure can can't he he created all of this. He created all those stars that we were looking at last night. His will be done helps us remember that just like in heaven, here on earth, we want him to be ruling our hearts, to be ruling the nations. Dr. Jody was talking about where she lives and the places in Africa that she helps. We want God's will to be done. We want the things that he wants, and he wants us to love our neighbors, to love Jesus, to believe in Jesus and to rejoice and bring him glory. So that's what we're saying when we're saying, your will be done on earth, all the places around us as it is in heaven, in his kingdom. So now we'll join together and we'll all say the Lord's prayer together. And give me a second, I'll share my screen. Harder with two kids on your lap. All right, let's all say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brandon.
and the kids for your participation. That was great. Well, if you will turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 to 4. And we are in this great New Testament letter that has so much good news, gospel doctrine packed into it. And uh, so what we've done, we're, as we come to chapter 3, we're in a transition part of the letter. Paul generally spends the first half of his letters talking about Jesus and the doctrines of grace and what he has done for us in the world. And then there's a transition to say, okay, so what? How then shall I live? Now, how does that, I love hearing about Jesus on Sunday, but how, how does this affect me on Monday? That's the second half of the letter of Colossians. It gets very practical, but we start today with uh, the reality that we have a new identity. And so let's, let's read about this identity that we are given when we become Christians. Uh, we cannot get any closer to God than, than, than we already are in Jesus. So let's, let's read this text and we'll pray and, and talk about it. This is God's word. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken today to us in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you dwell with the lowly, with the brokenhearted. You tell us that you save those who are crushed in spirit, those who are crying out for help. Your attention is on those who tremble at your word. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, your, your spirit would fill us, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would fill us and give us a, a new desire for Jesus and a new desire to do the will of Jesus as we just prayed with the kids so that we might be made fiercely faithful to you as Jesus has been for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things we have are learning, and I know I'm learning in the midst of this pandemic, is how important it is to have an identity that is not rooted in the things of earth, in, in earthly things, right? It's, it's, so these last 10 weeks are showing us that over and over and over again, this is what Jesus would teach us, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. So he'd say, Sermon on the Mount, he would say, don't base your life on earthly things, things that moth and rust will destroy. Because when they are destroyed, there your heart will be also, and there will your anxieties be because they're being taken away. All right. And so what Paul is doing in our, our text as he transitions to talking about life on earth, he tells us, Christians, I want you to be so heavenly minded that you do the most earthly good. The, 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 the power of the gospel for life here on earth comes through seeking the things of, that are above, seeking the things that are in heaven, right? Which is usually the, the opposite complaint about Christianity and religion in general, right? 
I mean, that, that's the complaint. You think so much about heaven, you're not even going to pay attention or care about what's happening on earth. I mean, perhaps you've heard some form of that, that complaint. Um, you hear it in the song Imagine by John Lennon, which ironically was sang by a bunch of celebrities at the beginning of this lockdown. Sung poorly, I would add. But you know, John Lennon wrote, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. There's no hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. He says, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. So you can, you can hear a bit of his, his complaint. If you think about, if you're religious, if you think about heaven, it's just going to ruin life here on earth. And Colossians chapter 3 is pushing back against that. Uh, that is, you seek the things that are above, you'll be empowered to put on love to live differently here on earth. Right? And so we're going to focus on the identity part today. And that, I think, is Paul's point here, is that Christians are given an unshakable identity that no amount of suffering and loss here on earth can ruin or change or take away because our life is not here on earth. Our life is with Christ. Right? And that's what we need, frankly, in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of hardships. And as we're talking to people who are struggling, we need an identity that changes us and helps us get through the storms here on earth. Uh, right, we need. Uh, so what we looked at last time, spirituality that is useless here on earth, spirituality that doesn't change your destructive desires, that doesn't change your work ethic, that doesn't change your abusive words, spirituality that doesn't bring healing to your relationships with your kids, your parents, or your spouse, spirituality that doesn't lead you to speak with gentleness and respect with people who don't believe like you. That's the rest of Colossians. Paul would call all of that kind of spirituality pointless if it doesn't change you here on earth. It's worthless. He says, you know, they may have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, but they're of no value, useless, worthless, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. My wants. So, as we look at chapter three, we're going to look at this identity and how that shapes the way we live on earth. Because as we seek the things above, uh, as we become heavenly minded, we're able to do the most earthly good. That's what Jesus is doing in us as he makes us more fully human. So we've got these great four verses describing this life-changing identity. But what I want to do is start with some grammar. And I know like two of you rejoiced as soon as I said grammar. But and the rest of you were triggered back to high school. But we want to look. This is the power of the gospel in what um, Bible nerds call the indicative. Right? The power of the gospel in the indicative. Right? So if you're looking at 3 verse 1, when Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Right? So... Like we said, if the first half of the letter has been gospel doctrine, who is Jesus, what has he done? The second half of the letter is transitioning to a gospel-centered life. How do you live life with Jesus? Right? The first, first half of this letter 
uh, was all about Jesus and his great work of new creation and, and how he is reconciling all things to himself, how he has forgiven everything. That's all a gift of grace from God to Jesus followers. And it's good news for the whole world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, uh, every creature, as Paul would say in the end of chapter one. And then where we're coming to, this is the second half, is so what? How do I follow Jesus here on earth? And as we do this grammar, one of the ways, this is just a helpful review or a reminder for some of you, but it's if you're figuring out how to read the New Testament, what you're going to notice is in Paul's letter and the Bible in general, the indicative always comes before the imperative. And that the imperative never comes to you without the indicative. And I did not just speak in tongues. It is English, I promise. <laughs> right. so what is an indicative? Well, the indicative is describing your identity, who you are in Christ, the gospel reality. In verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. You are connected to Jesus. It's describing who you are as someone who has been resurrected spiritually with Jesus. And then an imperative is just a fancy word for command. What is an imperative? It's, it's Jesus' will. The gospel commands. And you see it in verse 1. If you've been raised with Christ because you have this identity, therefore, this is what you must do. Seek the things above. Which is set your heart, your desires, on heavenly things. We can say it another way. Uh, you are loved more than you can imagine in Christ Jesus. We say that often here at Hope Church. That's the indicative. You are loved. Therefore, love one another. The command is the imperative. And in Paul's letter, he will not ever let you separate them, and he will not let you reverse the order. Because you reverse the order, you lose the power of the gospel. Because who you are in Christ Jesus controls your behavior, and gives you the strength and the motivational power to do what Jesus asked you to do. Right? So don't separate God's commands and what God says he has done for you in Jesus. They, they come together. Right? What God has joined together, the indicative and the imperative, let no man separate. Don't, and you can't switch the order. So here's a good example of how this works in real life, right? Um, if, if you are married to Bethany Thompson, then this, that's, that's the indicative reality, right? It's a relationship word. Then you should call her and tell her you're going to be late. <laughs> this is something I've learned. Right? But that command only makes sense in the, in the context of the relationship. If I put that command out there in general for all of you to follow and say, please tell Bethany when you're going to be late getting home, no matter how faithful you are to that command and blow up her phone, it's not going to get you that kind of married relationship with Bethany. Because right? the commands don't get you the covenant. The commands don't bring you into relationship. It's the, the result of being joined together in relationship. The indicative, who you are in Christ, is always connected to what Jesus is telling you to do. 
another illustration. This is helpful because it's not just in the in the New Testament. It's it's all the way throughout the scriptures. It's in the Old Testament. So if you want to read a great passage by yourself, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God says to Israel, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for your treasured, his treasured possession out of all the peoples that are on earth. And it's not because you were more numerous than anyone else that he set his love on you. It's simply because the Lord loves you. Right, That whole paragraph, that's the indicative. God loved you for no other reason other than he loved you. And then you go down to verse 11 of chapter 7, and then it says, because you are holy, because you belong to God, you shall be careful to do everything I command you. The indicative and the imperative come together. The indicatives are grace, and, and the imperatives are the, the commands <laughs> that God gives us. What do we do with that grace? Right. So when Paul starts this section, you get this category in your head. that If then you have been raised with Christ, therefore seek the things above, that the pattern is repeated over and over again. He, he really is asking you a question. Right. Have you been raised with Christ? Because if you have, this is a description of what you will do. You will think about heaven. You will think about where Jesus is. You will think about Jesus himself. Right. Do you believe the gospel? That you are by grace saved, declared to be an indestructibly blameless, holy, and unaccusable in Christ and God's presence. That you have had all your trespasses forgiven, nailed to the cross. That's chapter 2. Well, that grace changes you, and now it comes along and says, this is how you live in relationship with Jesus. Seek him above, not the things that are on earth. Right? And this is good news for us, because everything Paul is describing in chapter 3, it's not for a, a specific set of super-Christians that are more heavenly-minded than others. He's describing the ordinary Christian life for every person who is connected to Jesus. If you have been raised with Christ through faith, and you have been filled and changed by Jesus' resurrection power, this is what you must do. Seek the things that are above. All right, so first, you need... You see the power of the indicative. The indicative comes to you with the full power of the gospel that you are saved and, and held and protected by grace because you are connected to Christ. And then it says that power shows up in your life in the way you live. The indicatives and the imperatives come together. Don't separate them. Second point. All right. I want to show you, we need this resurrection power. I want to try and convince you to lean into this and why it's so important, especially these days, but every day. This is normal Christian life. We need to think about the things that are above, right? So the way to change here on earth is to desire what's above, to set your heart on what's above, to think about heavenly things, right? Which makes sense. I mean, you can see the parallel statements, to think about heavenly things, and to seek Christ above, um, 
you can't separate your thoughts from what you want and what you long for. Those things are connected. You want to know why you're thinking about what you think about? It's because you care about it. But this is the kind of identity that you need, an identity that gives you, in Christ, the confidence and strength to face death and also to, to deal with people who disappoint you, who are hard to live with, who need forgiven. Right? It's not just an identity that, that beams you off this planet so you're disconnected and, and so spiritual you're no earthly good. The connection in, in Colossians 3 is you're given an identity in Jesus that gives you the strength to go through life, through all kinds of trouble, with confidence, with grace, to even suffer without being a, a selfish pain in the neck. But that strength comes from being connected to Jesus, this identity, being raised with him and seeking. So one of the ways um, I love stories of how people have worked this out in really hard times. And one of the stories I've, I've good to think about, especially on Memorial Day, is we think about those who suffered in the past. Um, there's a guy named Ernest Gordon, who was a, a, a chaplain at Princeton University. But he also was a prisoner of war in a Japanese camp in World War II. And he entered into the camp as an agnostic. He didn't know Jesus at all. But it wasn't until some Christians who basically starved and took care of him after he got sick that he started to think about Jesus. But listen to how he describes the prisoner of war camp. I mean, you can, you can read this, and it's a movie too, called To End All Wars. But he says, before this Jesus invaded their camp, he says, we lived by the rule of the jungle, red in tooth and claw, the evolutionary law of the survival of the fittest. It was a case of, I look out for myself and to heck with everyone else. The weak were trampled underfoot, the sick were ignored or resented, the dead were forgotten. When a man lay dying, we had no words of mercy or kindness. When he cried out for our help, we just looked away. Everybody thinking only about life here on earth. And what changed Gordon in this particular camp was a glimpse of Jesus on earth. Um, right, there was a particular day when a prison guard was counting the shovels, and when he was counting, it came up one short, which was a crime. And this Japanese guard is yelling and screaming, and he's angry. He's threatening to kill everyone unless the thief would come forward and confess. And, and for a long time, no one moves until finally one man takes the courage, says, I took the shovel. And this Japanese guard kills him. And it was to everyone's shock the next day when it was discovered that the shovels were miscounted. And what happened was an innocent man volunteered to die for everyone else in order to protect them. And that particular picture of Jesus-like suffering gripped the imagination and melted the hearts of the soldiers and there was a killing of hate and a revival of love on earth for one another. Because all of a sudden, not only did Gordon get saved, there was like a mini revival in a prisoner of war camp. Groups of people together became heavenly minded, thinking about Christ. And they started to sh share. 
and love one each love one another. Right? Because of being heavenly minded. And so that's the promise that comes with being raised with Christ. You are given the ability, as one pastor put it, to slice through life's difficult circumstances like a hot knife through butter because you have a hope of glory. You have a, a you outside of this earth that cannot be touched. It's connected to Jesus. Right? Do you see that? I mean, the, the power you need to live today, the power to change, the power to love God, to love your neighbor, it can't come from earth, it can't come from me. And what Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, as you seek these things above, this is how it's going to show up in the rest of your life, in the rest of the chapter. You're going to put on love, you're going to put away anger, you're going to, your household's going to look different. You're going to treat your employees differently if you have slaves. You're going to treat your neighbors who don't believe like you differently. You're going to speak to them with gentleness and respect. That power comes by having an identity, a you, where Jesus is your life. And it can't come from earth. Seek the things that are above. And to the extent we do that, that's where your strength will grow. That's where your your pow the power of the gospel becomes a power in your life because you're, connect you're, you're leaning in to the connection you already have in Jesus, right? So as you do this, it requires thinking and it requires seeking, which is, is heart language, it's affection. But to the extent that we as Christians know that, that in Christ, Death and evil and sin and selfishness are a light momentary thing. A shadow that will pass away. Because Jesus rose from the dead, that will give you a strength here on earth. Because you're connected to him, you will love as he is loved, as, he, as you have been loved. And as I heard this week from, it's really good, of connecting the Psalms to everyday life. Right? This hope of glory, which we're going to talk about in a few moments. To the extent that you know that like the last five Psalms, which are all praise, like those last five Psalms show, show us, if you know that every prayer you pray will end with everything giving God praise, that will shape how you walk through suffering in this life. Because you know that God will work all things together for your good. And you know that because he already did so for you in Jesus on the cross. For you have died with him and you have been raised with him. All right? And so that's, that's the point. You need this kind of resurrection power and so do I. I mean, and yet this is just ordinary, say ordinary, Christianity. It's, it's, it's radical. It's life-changing. And if you are connected to Jesus... You have an otherworldly identity that gives you the ability to live life on earth now. Which is really asking you to ask those questions. Are you attracted to Jesus and, and the work of the gospel? Do you find his grace something that you cannot look away from? 
Seeking is a desiring word. Do you, do you enjoy coming to church, thinking about Jesus, hearing about how he's forgiven you and hearing it again and again and again because you need to hear it or you don't get bored with it? Those are clues that you have been raised with Christ because you're seeking the things that are above. And if, if you are bored, you are not thinking and not seeking, it's a good question. Have you been raised with Christ? Have you set your trust in the one who gave himself up for you in love on the cross? So how do you seek the things above? And this is point number three. There's a lot here. It's, it's, it's super cool how, how this works out. But the power of, of the gospel in your life comes with Jesus being your life. It's, it's the power of a hidden life, right? We've got the power of the indicatives. You need this power. And the third point is you, you have a power of a hidden life hidden in someone else, Jesus. And there are two explosive statements that we have to think about and long for. And the first is, uh, you are with Christ at the right hand of God. Right? That's, that's verse 1. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And what the, uh, what the Bible nerds will tell you, is, is that verse 2 about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God, that's a clear hyperlink or allusion to Psalm 110, which we spent a whole sermon series on. That Jesus, when he was raised up to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God, and he is sitting on the throne, the place of power, where all the decisions for what happens every day come from. He is the King, the Lord. You got to think about Jesus being on the throne. That's what Psalm 110 says, where David said in the spirit long ago, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to Jesus, which we know now, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So as you're meditating on this you can go back to those sermons but it's telling you that where jesus is where christ is everything that happens every day from the numbers of hair on your head falling to the death of a sparrow to the beauty of the flower all of that happens by the permission and power of the one sitting at god's right hand god's chosen king jesus right You are seated with him. Seek the things that are above. And so as you think about these things, you seek these things above. You're you're seeking Jesus, the king who is, who God is putting to death all enemies through. Sin, sorrow, death, selfishness. And he is ruling right now in the midst of his enemies. Through us here on earth on the church. Right? So if you have been raised with Christ and you are seeking the heavenly things above and you are with him, Paul is saying that kind of power is now fighting for you. He's pulling in Psalm 110. 
We are now invincible in Christ while we suffer, while we groan, while we lament, because we know because we're connected to Jesus, every last enemy will be defeated by King Jesus. I'm trying to model how you think these things through. Not only that, Psalm 110 says Jesus is a king at God's right hand, but this is where this power becomes infinitely sweet and tender and personal because Jesus has promised to be our priest forever, our forever priest. Where as priest, Jesus, the human, the divine son of God is bridging heaven and earth for us. And for all those in Christ to have Jesus as king and priest, it is a heart-meltingly sweet, powerful combination. Right? Because as king, Jesus has power. As priest, Jesus uses that power to sympathize with us, according to Hebrews, in our weaknesses. Because he has been tested in every way we have been, yet without sin. And sympathize is a a Greek word for, in some, this is a mystery, but in some form, Jesus is on the throne suffering with us. As king, Jesus rules with power and authority. He tells us what to do. But as priest, Jesus dispenses mercy upon mercy for every failure and sin for those who are in Christ. As priest, he is saying, come to me in your time of need. Run to the throne of grace with confidence because you have a priest that you know will welcome you and give you the help you need. As king, Jesus is ruthless towards his enemies. He will put them under his feet. But as priest forever, he uses that that strength, that power, to save all those in Christ to the uttermost. This is Hebrews again. It's describing this priest. Where where the priest guarantees our place in the new heavens and new earth. That's what it means to be saved to the uttermost. He will not give up on you in Christ because you're too stubborn or difficult. As priest, he is committed to saving you to the uttermost, to the end. This is life with Christ at the right hand of God that is true right now. You have a king and a priest that is working for us. Right? So seek the things that are above. Think about that. How in the world does that change my life? Start applying it. I mean, these are the things that Paul is saying we should never get bored with. That Jesus's life is my life. So when God looks at Jesus at the right hand of God and he sees the beauty of Jesus, he sees the obedience of Jesus, he sees his beloved son in whom he delights in, who lived a perfect life, who took away the judgment we deserve. When God sees glory, and if we are seated with him and we're hidden in Christ, That's telling you that God sees you like that. So why would you not want to think about how exalted you have been made as a gift in Christ? Seek those things. Set your affection on being delighted in by the maker of heaven and earth as a gift of grace because we didn't earn it. Christ did. The power of the indicative coming back. If you are in Christ, this is true. 
the second explosive statement, and then this will lead us to our conclusion. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? Your, your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've got God, you've got Christ, and behind all that is us. We're protected. Right? And this is who God is revealing himself to be in the scriptures and most clearly in Jesus. God, by his very nature, is one who, who has chosen to hide and protect the, his loved ones, those who are connected to him. And we are connected to him by being in Christ. Right? I'm sure many of you have seen those movies where the hero is hiding from danger. Or maybe this is the, the, the clear picture in my mind because I was terrified at age 12. Right? Those kids hiding in the kitchen in Jurassic Park from the Velociraptors. Right? And in those stories, the, the courage of those who are, who are terrified from danger is directly related to the ones that are with them. Right? Who you are hidden with, who is hiding you, who is protecting you. That controls your peace, your fears, your courage. And that's, that's what Paul's getting us to think about. If you are hidden with Christ in God, let that control your peace, your fears, your courage. He hides you. I mean, listen to Psalm 27. This is one of the places, one of the many, I think, Paul has in mind where it describes life in Christ. For David said long ago, in verse 4, uh, one th I've asked God one thing. I want to live in his house, so I want to be close to God. All the days of my life, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and I want to inquire in his temple because... And here's, here's the reason why. I want to see his beauty because he will hide me in his shelter, in his tabernacle, in his presence, in the day of trouble. God has always been hiding his people to protect them. For, for the Christian that is in Christ, we are hidden in Christ with Christ's beauty protecting us. We are hidden in Christ where he protects us from the day of trouble because we know this suffering now is a light momentary affliction compared to the greatness of what will come. Right? Your life is Christ's life and Christ's life is your life. We need to learn how to apply those things. This is your identity. One last thing here. This is astounding. Just look at the unbreakable chain of grace here in this text. This is your identity because you are connected to Jesus. Right? We're saying he will hold you fast. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 is showing you that. Right? He says, this is describing the Christian. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You are seated with God in Christ, hidden in him right now. And then at the end of all things, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will Hear that language. You will appear with him in glory. The implication is if you are in Christ, not only is Jesus' story your story, but the grace that saved you is the same grace that will carry you home. You will appear with him in glory. You can't be taken away. 
What God began in you in Christ, he will finish. Because Christ is your life, you will be with him at the renewal of all things. Glory is guaranteed if you're in Christ. This is your identity. The mending of every broken thing, including us. Because when we see Jesus, we will be like him. I mean, that, that's, that's the hope of glory that Paul is talking about in, in, in verse 4. The hope of heaven coming down to earth again to right everything that is wrong. Everything that could possibly harm or hurt or damage anyone in Christ will be forever eradicated from the earth. The eternal honeymoon is coming with Christ on earth. It's a gift. It can't be taken away. Right? All we've done is describe who you are in Christ, hidden with God. He is your life. You have died so that you cannot be judged for anything anymore because it already happened in Christ. You have been raised with him. You have more honor in this world than you can ever imagine because you are connected to Christ that he earned for you. We haven't even gotten to the commands, so that'll be next week. So how do you live out of this identity? And that, that's the challenge is, is working and learning and training to your brain to think about these things. I tried to model it as we went through, but you're, you're seeking heavenly things, thinking about Christ, not earthly things. And it's not sticking your head in the sand to avoid what's happening. It's a command to not let anything here on earth become your life because Christ is your life. Because if you wrap your identity, your sense of self, in any created thing, it will fade, it will rust, it will be destroyed, it will be taken away. Right? So we are being commanded here to preach the gospel to yourself every day, that Christ is your life, not my job, not what my wife thinks of me, not, not my talent in getting my kid through school today. Right? You're not saying to your stuff, you are my life. You're saying, I am in Christ, and in Christ, I don't have to do anything else to earn God's affection, applause, and glory. It was already accomplished in Christ. Therefore, I'm gonna, I want to now do what Jesus asked me to do. Jesus, help me. Do you know how to do that? How to say, Jesus, you are my life. Therefore, help me to believe that today. Because if you have Christ in your life, it's the difference between being afflicted without being crushed. It's going to be sad. It's going to hurt, but you won't fall apart. You may be perplexed, as Paul would say. You don't have a clue why, why this thing is happening. But because you know Christ is on the throne as your king and priest, you won't be driven to despair. You may be angry, but you won't be stuck in bitterness because you know you have been forgiven. So therefore, I have the power to forgive. You may be hurt, but you won't be stuck in a pity party because you have that model of Jesus who entrusted himself to the Lord, the one who judges justly. See how this works? Those who are the most heavenly minded, the most Christ centered, do the most earthly good. And that's my question to you today is do you have, are you getting a glimpse, a taste, a longing for that identity? 
It's Christ calling you. This is how it's always been. Every In the history of the church, I'll, I'll end with this illustration. In the history of the church, those who have done the most good throughout history have been the ones that have longed the most for a new heavens and new earth, that, are, that have been had their, their hearts and minds set on the heaven above. Right, so one example is Anthony Ashley Cooper, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury in England. Right, they just don't make names and titles like they used to. He lived in the 1800s in, in Britain, and Cooper did more than any other, any other individual in his day working for the poor, where he used his politics, he used his wisdom, he used his advocacy to work hard so that the poor wouldn't suffer. And one of his great victories that he's, he's known for was stopping the horrific practices of sending young children up to, into the chimneys to sweep and down into the mines to dig for coal. He, he stopped child labor. And here's what he said at the end of his life about why he did what he did. And he said, I do not think that in the last 40 years I have lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. We could use Paul's words in Colossians. He said, the whole time I was working for the good of this earth and for these kids, there was what, not one moment I was not thinking about Christ, my hope of glory. So my friends, go and learn what it means to be raised with Christ above, to be seated with him, and spend a long time thinking about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your grace, and I pray that uh, as we get a taste of your overwhelming good news, Lord, that uh, you would hold on to us fast. For many of us right now feel like a little child trying to hold on desperately to our parents' fingers, and we're not strong enough to stay connected. And so for that, we thank you for the good news of Christ, that you are holding on to us even when we're unable to hold on to you. And so I pray for, for the weak, the, the, the suffering, those who are frustrated by their own repeated sinfulness, Lord, that they would see who we have in Christ, and that would change the way they live here on earth. And so we pray all these things with much gratitude um, in Christ's name. Amen. It's a good time to sing Amazing Grace. And so I'll ask John to lead us. Brandon to share the words. Thanks. Thank you.
All right. Well, hear God's benediction. Uh, before I before I read this, I do want to say if you have any needs during the week, you'd like to, to talk. I mean, as things loosen up, I have a chair. I'll happily do a socially distanced visit and, and sit outside. I have a have a camping chair. I will travel. <laughs> so, and I want to thank our Facebook friends and say the same to you if you're visiting with us. We want to get to know you personally. So please please reach out. Hear God's benediction, it's a good word from our God. And as we think about the poetics of Isaiah, it's, it's getting you to imagine the hope of glory. It's what Isaiah says, when Jesus returns before us, the mountains are going to be thrilled with what Jesus has done in us. It says, to now to you who were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, who have now been reconciled to God through the death of Christ, who have been brought into his own presence to stand holy and blameless before him without fault. Go out in joy and be led forth in peace until we hear the mountains burst into song before you and we see all the trees of the field clap their hands. So go now as Christ's witnesses with that joy and peace. Amen. Amen. Well, farewell to those who are online. Thank you for joining us.